Welcome back to the Hardwood Homies NBA Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Hoy, and I'm joined in studio today by Cesar Smokowski. How you been, Cesar? I've been doing great. What's going on, pimps? Man, we're excited to bring another episode back to your head top. We got some more uh, news and things to talk about around free agency and what's all happening around the league. Yeah, we are today doing a free agency roundup, talking about the deals that have happened so far, taking a bit of a break from draft stuff. We will have some summer league content coming next week, but we're going to wait until you know we've seen more guys in summer league just because there hasn't been a whole lot of action yet. And um, just a, a bit of news about the podcast. After this week, we're going to be scaling back to one episode per week as you know this draft season is kind of over and we're scaling back into the sort of the offseason for the draft. So we'll be doing a lot of prep for the 2018 draft, doing some preseason stuff. But we're going to be scaling back to one episode a week after this week. So uh, be be ready for that. Don't be surprised if you're seeing Harvard Homies pop up less in your podcast feed. But be sure to listen when, when they're coming down the pipeline. And be sure to keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. They're much appreciated. But, yeah, since you got anything else before we want to get into this? Uh, no, man. Well, we're excited. we got a lot to talk about. Thanks, everybody, for continuing to leave those uh, five-star reviews and subscribing to the podcast. All the support has really been appreciated, and man, we got a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. Yeah, we'll start with the point guards. Um, first first being the Chris Paul trade. That was a, obviously a huge move. It wasn't technically a free agency move, but you know, it, he made the decision that he was going to go to Houston, and so the Clippers figured we'll trade you and get something back for it. Obviously, getting Montrez Harrell, Sam Decker, Lou Williams, and Patrick Beverly in exchange from the Rockets, along with a 2018 first-round pick for Chris Paul. Pretty great return for the Clippers, honestly, given the fact that Chris Paul was pretty much guaranteed to leave. What do you think of that move, Cesar? I think I think it was a very you know calculated move by the Clippers. They said, okay, Chris Paul is gone, you know, We've had faced a lot of nepotism in the past, and you know there's obviously been a checkered history between the two, uh, you know the player and the franchise. So, but I really credit Houston because you know they the front office there has been has done a stellar job with not only surrounding James Harden with players, but you know they signed Dwight Howard back when he was you know the superstar, and they've gotten Chris Paul and some other marquee free agents. So. I really credit the GM there, and they've been doing a, a pretty good job at cr- getting guys. I mean, obviously, you know, at this point, they went for the biggest star available, and, you know, they they worked out it, it worked out well, but, you know, I'm not really sh- too sure about, you know, how the fit will work, but I'm sure they'll figure it out. Yeah, um, if there's any coach who can handle having two pick-and-roll masterminds and James Harden and Chris Paul on the same team, it's Mike D'Antoni, I mean, the backcourt firepower between Harden, Chris Paul, and Eric Gordon is probably going to be the best in the league next year. I mean, two top five point guards on the same team plus a sixth man of the year guard. That's pretty incredible. And, you know, the Rockets are going to struggle for on wing depth, especially after losing Sam Decker in that trade. But they did bring in P.J. Tucker for the mid-level exception. Another signing we can talk about. What do you think of that P.J. Tucker signing, Cesar? I like P.J. Tucker a lot, obviously. He had his, uh, you know, flashes in Toronto, and as a defensive specialist, and you know, a guy that can also hit some threes, he was very valuable for the Raptors. And I think that he fits that Houston system where you know you have to have guys who can defend, you know, to make up for you know James Harden's deficiencies in that area. But I like PJ Tucker a lot. You know, they're already a super high-powered offense, so they won't ask him to do much there. But I think that you know he'll obviously be a big improvement, you know, on defense. Yeah, going to be a a nice bench forward for them for sure. Something that they've definitely lacked over the couple of years. I mean, you saw in the playoffs last year when Sam Decker was hurt, they really struggled for depth at the combo forward spots. PJ Tucker's going to fill that void for them nicely. I was a bit of a bigger fan of James Johnson. I really would have liked to see James Johnson in Houston, but you know, PJ Tucker was probably my second choice to fill that role. So that that was a pretty good move for them. Next move we'll talk about is Steph Curry, a five-year, $201 million max deal with the Warriors. I mean, uh, pretty straightforward. I think everyone saw this coming. But uh, you got you got any outstanding thoughts on it, Cesar? God damn it, Joe Lacob. The man was supposed to come to Charlotte. He's coming home. He, this was going to be his LeBron coming to Cleveland moment. Damn it. We need Del Curry back. Uh, uh, I... Uh, 
I was hoping on Curry. I was like, he's coming home, guys. He's coming back to Charlotte. He wants to be a Hornet. Uh, Draymond Green cannot be that likable. I was like, oh. But despite that, I guess he wants to stay with a winning team, as some people like to call the Warriors. You know, it's all semantics, but, you know, I, I guess they had to do it, and he's definitely worth all the money. Yeah, um, Charlotte, I, 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 didn't, I didn't see that on the radar, Cesar. I'm sorry you're disappointed, but... Uh, it was on the radar. You, you got Malik Monk. You got you got the next Steph Curry and Malik Monk, for sure. The next Michael Jordan. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, another point guard uh, who took a big deal to return home, Kyle Lowry. Going back to the Raptors on a three-year deal worth nearly a hundred million dollars. You know, I actually liked this deal a lot for the Raptors because you know I think this is one of those situations where it's about years, not dollars. You know, I, I, if it was a four-year contract worth a hundred million, I'd probably honestly like this less, just because I think paying Kyle Lowry when he's that old, you know, 34, 35, uh, paying him twenty-five million dollars a year is going to be a big strain on Toronto's cap. But getting him on a three-year deal uh, makes it a lot more palatable because. You can get him off of that a little bit quicker. And, you know, you're going to be paying him more over those next three years, but he's going to be earning that value for those three years. I mean, obviously, Kyle Aria, one of the, probably the top 15 players in the league, just an outstanding point guard. He's going to be worth that contract for those three years. So not giving him a four- or five-year deal, I think, is a win for the Raptors, no matter the cost, over those three years. Yeah, he obviously is a very valuable piece for the Raptors. And, you know, he has a pretty extensive injury history, obviously, you know, hurting his leg last year and then having some hand problems before. So uh, there's, you know, obviously uncertainty with that, and that's why you go for, you know, a shorter-term contract. But uh, I've, you know, I've heard rumors before the signings that, you know, he could have gotten, you know, a lot more than, you know, just $100 million. So I think that, you know, with his injury history, I think that they did get him on a bargain with, you know, lots of guys can, you know, get up to that, you know, 20, 25 million range, and Kyle Lowry is definitely on a decent, you know, a very good contract for the Raptors now. Yeah, um, Raptors, I think, got really lucky with the point guard market sort of drying up as teams like the Nets and Kings added point guards in a draft or through trade, and the Kings did go get a point guard in free agency. We'll talk about that in a sec, but first to mention, along with the Raptors, uh, they also brought back Serge Ibaka on a three-year, $65 million deal. Again, the price is a bit steep for me, especially after seeing what Patrick Patterson got from the Thunder, which is another deal we'll talk about later. But, you know, I think it's another situation where it's years, not dollars, and getting Serge Ibaka for just three years, I think, is worth it. I mean, he's obviously declining as a defensive player, but he does add value as a stretch big on offense and, you know, gives Toronto a big man that they don't really have in their front court outside of, you know, the role that Ibaka can fill. So if, if they were going to choose between him and Patterson, I probably... Would rather have Patterson on less money, but I guess Ibaka's a bigger name, and given the fact that they went out and traded for him, the front office probably looked to save face by bringing him back. Yeah, Ibaka, obviously, this year, you know, showed some signs of age, and I think that, you know, there may have been some mishandling of the information when he was drafted, but that doesn't matter. He, you know, is aging very quickly, and I think that, you know, to have him on a sh you know, short-term three-year deal isn't too bad. But, you know, he is he was an important part of that Toronto offense. And, you know, even though I don't think neither of these moves, you know, they didn't swing for the fences and get try and get Gordon Hayward or anything. But I think that, you know, for a Toronto team that before a few years ago had, had like one playoff series win in the whole history of their team. So, you know, to be a relevant playoff team, I think that's a very good move for them, even though, you know, they're not quite con uh, contending for a ring yet. Yeah, Toronto's bringing the band back together. Uh, I honestly don't see them contending in the East with Boston and Cleveland uh, just because I don't think they have the firepower, and I think that they're going to continue to age. You know, Last season was probably DeMar DeRozan's best season unless he's going to add a three-point shot. It was probably Kyle Lowry's best season too as he you know, continues to age and you know rack up injury history. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this Toronto core, but they've also got some young pieces to mix in. You know, your Norman Powell's, Jakob Pertl, Pascal Siakam, and they've got some movable pieces like Jonas Valanciunas. So they're certainly a team to watch going forward, but I don't see a super high ceiling for this current group of guys. Next signing to talk about of the point guards is George Hill heading to the Kings for three years, $57 million, partial guarantee on the last year. This was a pretty puzzling deal in my mind. I, I didn't see the need for the Kings to go grab a combo guard like George Hill 
you know, I, I would like this a little more if they didn't have, you know, such depth at shooting guard amongst their young guys because I would have thought, oh, they'll play George Hill next to De'Aaron Fox and help space the floor for Fox, but they already need to be giving minutes to Buddy Heald and even Malachi Richardson there. So I, I don't know what the plan for this is. Uh, maybe they're going to try to, you know, restrict Fox's minutes some in the first year, have Hill be the starter, and then as Hill gets a little older, I mean, he's 31 right now, as he ages over the course of his contract, play Fox more, bring Hill to a bench role, and use him as a veteran mentor. But in general, I just I would have rather the Kings preserve their cap space as you know either a dumping destination or waiting for a solid young unrestricted free agent to come around and see if he could fill a hole. I mean, looking ahead, if they would have held on to their cap space, they could have potentially had Robert Covington coming around as an unrestricted free agent next offseason with the ability to just throw more money at him than anyone else. And I think Covington's a guy who would have fit perfectly with the young core that they have in place. So I wasn't in love with, you know, tying up their cap space for the next couple of years in George Hill and also Zach Randolph, who they signed for two years and $24 million. I, I just didn't I didn't see the point of those two contracts. I get the idea of having a veteran presence, but I, th- I think that there are players who they could have signed for less money that would have been able to provide a similar veteran presence. And, you know, maybe George Hill can teach Darren Fox some things about, you know, expanding his game, becoming a better jump shooter. But if this is any sort of idea about trying to contend in the West from Vivek, a, a mandate that they need to try to make the playoffs in what might be the most stacked conference in history at this point, it's going to be really, really a dumb move. And I don't super understand this for the Kings. Yeah, it was kind of strange they brought in, you know, a combo guard where they already have Darren Fox who's, you know, going to be an elite talent and Buddy Hill who dominates, you know, a lot of minutes. So that was kind of puzzling. But, you know, I think that it was strange how they, you know, gave Zach Randolph and, uh, and excuse me, and uh, George Hill all this money where, you know, I think that they could have used that, those two, you know, mid-level free agents to, you know, instead of signing them, get, you know, really coveted guy like Otto Pope Jr., you know, signing those, I think, $86 million worth of deals uh, this year took them out of the running to having, you know, a really elite guy like Otto Pope Jr. who, you know, could have helped them a lot. But, you know, I think that George Hill has some wisdom and can provide some value, you know, averaging nearly 17 points per game last year. And I think that, you know, as a leader, he can be good. And, you know, with Lonzo Ball, excuse not excuse me, Lonzo Ball, a De'Aaron Fox there, I think that, you know, he will be a man amongst boys and, you know, hopefully can help them develop. Yeah, Porter Jr., restricted free agent, originally reported that the Kings had extended an offer sheet to him, but I guess after signing Hill and Randolph, they didn't have the cap space, so they rescinded the offer sheet. Not really sure what went on there, but Porter Jr. is a guy who would have been a nice fit, but as a restricted free agent in Washington, sort of, you know, Porter having Washington bent over a barrel, it was hard to see Washington not accepting that offer for Porter to bring him back at whatever price. Talk about Porter briefly. Signed a four-year, $104 million offer sheet with the Nets. And that's almost surely going to be matched by the Wizards, as we mentioned. Uh, they don't really have a way to replace him. They can give Kelly Oubre Jr. more minutes. But at that point, their bench will be so crazily thin that they have to bring back Porter. I mean, I, I don't see the alternative for Washington. they got to bring back Porter. And they're going to be paying him a lot over the next four years. But it's what they're going to have to do because they don't have a different way to replace his production. Yeah, he's going to be a very highly paid, you know, guy on that team. Obviously, the Wizards are going to be racking up a big bill with John Wall, you know, as he's been looking for uh, a super max extension. And then, you know, since they've already paid Bradley Bill, but, you know, having Otto Pope Jr. on a max level contract will obviously be a big step for them seeing that they have to retain those guys to you know stay relevant in an east that's you know also getting stronger with you know upcoming teams so if the Wizards you know want to keep that you know four or five seed in the playoffs I think that you know Otto Park Jr. was an important piece and you know while he wasn't you know the face of the franchise or you know one of those marquee stars like John Wall or Bradley Beal he certainly does you know add some value and is you know an important part of why they won you know so many games last year. Yeah, uh, Wiz is probably going to have to pay the luxury tax for the first time in franchise history. And uh, let this be a sign to all. Don't pay Jan Mahimi $64 million. Um, it's not going to work out well. Uh, it did not work out well for the Wizards. That's a big albatross they've got sitting on their books. And they're probably going to have to pay Boyan Bogdanovich a lot too, but we're still waiting on that contract. Uh, just a quick note, by the way, we're recording this on Thursday. 
going to put it up on Friday. So whatever deals happen over the course of the day, Thursday, we're not going to be talking about those, but we are going to round up all the deals that have happened outside of that. Uh, as you stated, Cesar, it's going to be tough for Washington to hang in the East without Otto Porter. But even with him, I mean, I don't really see them getting higher than third. I mean, I think Boston and Cleveland are the clear top two. Maybe post-LeBron, the Wizards can rise up. But at that point, I think the Bucks will be better. So it's going to be interesting to see how Washington manages their team going forward with you know, such tight room to work with and possibly edging into the luxury tax and not a whole lot of assets. But yeah, certainly, certainly a team to watch in the East that has become so barren with only five real legit playoff teams, six if, if you're really into Philadelphia. But East, certainly interesting to watch next year. But back to the West, the Pelicans re-signed Drew Holiday on a five-year, $125 million contract. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big Pelicans fan, and I, I was all in on this move. I, I figured that the Pelicans basically had to bring back Drew Holiday for whatever price, because if we didn't, it was going to be a, a, a spiral towards Anthony Davis getting traded in the next two years, because that would leave the Pelicans basically with no point guard and probably mean that DeMarcus Cousins would be out the door next offseason and mean that Anthony Davis, it was time to trade him at probably that same time. But bringing back Drew Holiday gives the Pelicans, you know, a legit three guys who, who are really solid players. You know, obviously Davis and Cousins, two of the best players in the league, and Holiday, you know, really underrated as a point guard. People have me mentioned his injury concerns, but really over the course of his career, the only thing he's missed time for is the tibia issue he had uh, over in his second or third third year in New Orleans, I think. So that's really the only thing. It lingered through a couple seasons for him. But other than that, he stayed healthy. Uh, obviously missed time at the start of the season to you know, help his wife, who was going through a, a health scare of her own. And the Pelicans' you know, patience with Holiday during that time apparently really affected him and wanted him to come back to that team. And obviously the money as well. So that was obviously a great move for the Pelicans. You know, Some people consider it an overpay. And probably in terms of pure value, it was. But the Pelicans absolutely needed Drew Holiday to stay because they didn't have a way to replace him. Yeah, Drew Holiday, uh, sort of like a mid, a mid-level to you know break into the top tier of point guards who's obviously getting paid like you know a top tier point guard. And just in terms of you know what the team needs, obviously the Pelicans have needed a point guard for a long time, and you know a guy that can really facilitate their offense with. Uh, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, you know, you know, getting a lot of those shots on offense. I think that Drew Holiday, you know, is about as perfect fit that you can get. You don't want, you know, a dominant, a ball dominant point guard who's gonna, you know, take looks away from Anthony and uh, DeMarcus. So Drew Holiday fits perfectly there, and you know, they, you know, he's obviously, you know, a player with some concerns whether you know he can get better or whether you know the injury history is going to slow him down, but. I think that, you know, where he's at is perfect, and I think that, you know, the Pelicans hopefully can take that next step and, you know, you know finally put all their spending to use. Yeah, uh, good move for the Pelicans. I mean, they're going to have to figure out on the wing what's going on. Hopefully Solomon Hill can make a jump. He, he was showing flashes in the second half of last season, especially after the All-Star break, but they're going to need one of those wing players to get better if they want to hang around in this highly competitive Western Conference as that arms race heats up, the Timberwolves have been adding guys, one of them being Jeff Teague on a three-year, $57 million deal. You know, I, I didn't really love this deal. Uh, I thought Jeff Teague was, uh, you know, he's a decent point guard, but I think in the team context of the Timberwolves, he's not a great fit because, you know, he's really about a league average shooter from three, and he doesn't add a ton of off-ball value to the Timberwolves. And they're a team that has, you know, Jimmy Butler, Carl Anthony Towns, and Andrew Wiggins, guys who are all going to need the ball in their hands a lot and Teague's really most effective with the ball in his hands so I don't know how much value he's going to add to the team without the ball in his hands and you know I think this is going to be a struggle for Minnesota to figure out the touches there but I would have preferred them to see, to add you know a, a point guard who could play off the ball a little more add a more bit more defensive value uh, a George Hill or Drew Holiday two guys who were on the market would have been perfect fits in Minnesota but I guess they went with Jeff Teague Tom Thibodeau thought that Teague was the guy for them so, I, I don't know. I, I didn't love it, but I, I sort of see the rationale of adding a new point guard, especially after trading Ricky Rubio to the Jazz. Yeah, uh, Ricky Rubio, obviously, the face of their franchise for a long time. And, you know, with the, the best player that they've had until Cat got there. So, that was obviously a big change. And I think that, you know, bringing in Teague, you know, 
giving him only 57 million i think that that's a very good value you know he re did really good things you know in atlanta when he was playing there and i think that he can run an offense really well but as you're saying, you know, you've got guys like Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler that, you know, like to have the ball in their hands. So that'll be interesting. But, you know, having guys that you're going to have to pay a lot like Cat and Anthony, uh, Anthony, excuse me, Andrew Wiggins, uh, you know, forward going forward. Andrew Wiggins obviously is going to be signing a new contract soon. But, you know, having a guy that's not too too expensive at point guard but also gives you some value in terms of, you know, being a seasoned guy, but also being able to run that offense is, is I think, valuable. And I, th I trust Thibodeau, and I think that he knows what he's doing. So, uh, you know, he, he'll obviously give them some value heading down the road. The most interesting part about this to me is, you know, since we have all this point guards moving around in free agency, you know, how this will affect Isaiah Thomas's payroll next year since – Obviously, the Celtics were, you know, pressed to be in a situation where they either have to give him a super max deal or, you know, uh, replace him. So uh, it'll be interesting with all these other teams filling these holes, you know, what he can get other places. Yeah, and with all the cap space that's drying up this offseason, not projected for a huge cap leap next offseason, how many teams are even going to have the space to contend with the Celtics for an Isaiah Thomas offer? I think Danny Ainge has to be really happy with what's happening, it's looking like they might be able to get Isaiah Thomas for a price less than his full max, which would have to be considered a win. Maybe they could even get him on a Kyle Lowry-esque three-year deal, which I think would be a win for the Celtics for sure. But a couple other moves by the Timberwolves after signing Jeff Teague. They also obviously brought in Jimmy Butler on draft night before they got Teague. And, you know, we've talked about that trade. We really love it for the Timberwolves. Jimmy Butler, you know, maybe not the best fit next to Andrew Wiggins, but Andrew Wiggins is going to have to adjust his game to Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler is going to be the alpha dog on that wing for them and, you know, the leader in that locker room, especially, you know, playing under Tibbs, who he's played under before. So I'm excited to see how Jimmy Butler is going to lead that team. And I think this is, you know, the first going to be the first really great team that Jimmy Butler's had a chance to lead. So I think Carl Anthony Towns, if he can fall in line and, you know, you know, maybe not necessarily fall to be, you know, a, a, a behind-the-scenes option, but, you know, maybe a second option behind Jimmy Butler and focus more on defense and rebounding, you know, using his elite physical tools, but still obviously being an incredibly powerful scorer and spacing the floor out. That's that's going to be really awesome. But the the move that Minnesota made that really uh, rubbed me the wrong way was signing Taj Gibson on a two-year $28 million deal. I mean, Minnesota's absolutely stacking up on big men, drafting Justin Patton, number 16, uh, bringing in Taj Gibson. Uh, they extended Gorgie Jang last offseason. So now they've got Cat... Jang, Gibson, Patton, Cole Aldrich, they signed last offseason, and Nemanja Bialica looking for minutes at power forward. And that's before even considering, you know, playing Andrew Wiggins or Jimmy Butler as a small ball four. So Minnesota's unquestionably trending towards going big ball. And, you know, that's an interesting idea to counter the Warriors, but I don't know how effective it's going to be because the Warriors have proven they can attack these bigger matchups during the course of a seven-game playoff series. So maybe this works during the regular season, and, you know, maybe Tibbs has some trick up his sleeve to figure this all out, but I didn't love the idea of adding a bunch of bruising big men who, you know, not necessarily are great switchers on the perimeter, not great shooters. I, I don't know how it's going to work in a modern NBA that's so predicated upon spacing and shooting. Yeah, Tom Thibodeau is, you know, a famous for having, you know, really wanting so many bigs, and I guess that's his, you know, idea of his team, and I think that, you know, having all those big guys will have a cluster similar to, you know, what's happening in Philly with all their big guys. So that'll be, you know, an interesting scenario to see where Taj Gibson will play. You know, obviously he is one of those fetching guys that I think respects Tom Thibodeau enough to, you know, sign there and, you know, give him his talent. So uh, Thibodeau obviously, you know, gives them a lot of credibility in signing free agents and getting, you know, veteran guys that see him as still an elite uh, coach in the league so you know that's a, a lot of value that he's given to Minnesota I'm still perplexed by Taj Gibson so I've got Jimmy Butler's number I'm gonna call him up wait for the Hardwood homies interview and then we'll ask him all about it yeah that's right well, uh Jimmy Butler putting his number out there we'll try to get him on here for y'all to listen to but uh yeah the Wolves interesting what they're doing uh, I just was frustrated with the Taj Gibson deal because after seeing Patrick Patterson sign with the Thunder for three years and 16 million 
I was wondering, you know, why didn't the Timberwolves make that move? Maybe Patrick Patterson really wanted to play next to Russell Westbrook and Paul George and, you know, play for a team that looks like it's probably going to be better than the Timberwolves next year. But I just don't understand the fact that the Timberwolves would rather have a, a bruising 31-year-old than a younger Patterson who, who fits their team much better as a floor-spacing big who can add some defensive value. I mean, for a lot of the season last year, Patterson was the third-best player on the Raptors when they were, you know, the second-best team in the East. So I was I was just not understanding the, the lack of people valuing Patterson. I mean, uh, a real plus-minus warrior uh, rated very highly by that stat. Just a really useful player who, you know, doesn't put up the great county stats. But I think Patrick Patterson would have been the perfect player for Minnesota because he doesn't need the ball in his hands. I'm not saying Taj Gibson does, but I think Patterson would have been a remarkable fit next to Cat and Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins, you know, whether or not he's starting or coming off the bench. But I guess Gibson is the Thibodeau guy. But this is this is why you don't have your coach and your GM be the same person because your GM builds the team. Or if your GM is the coach, then he's going to build the team how he wants to coach rather than, you know, having a GM who maybe understands team building a little more have it be built the way that, you know, a basketball team should run and forcing the coach to adapt to a more modern style because I think Thibodeau is sort of a rebelling against this Warriors pace and space type of thing, and he's sort of angry at it, like the angry old man, get off my lawn, saying, uh, get off my lawn, I'm going to play, you know, three big men at the same time, and I just don't know how well that's going to work. Yeah, Thibodeau, the quintessential Minnesotan, you know, cold all the time and very mean. I'm joking. They're very nice people. But, uh, yeah, Patrick Patterson would have been very nice there. But I think that, you know, getting top Gibson, you know, provides value. And I think that he still makes sense, but, you know, doesn't fit the mold as much, you know, going forward with a younger team now. Yeah, uh, some other point guard signings to run through. Patty Mills headed back to the Spurs for four years and $50 million. Darren Collison heading to Indiana for two years, $20 million. Sean Livingston returning to Golden State for three years, $24 million. Uh, Yogi Ferrell having his option picked up by the Mavericks. Ron Baker returning to the Knicks on a two-year contract. Michael Carter-Williams signing for, I believe, the room exception. Maybe a little less with the Hornets, $2.7 million. Oh, that's not the room exception. Never mind. But yeah, Michael Carter-Williams, one year, $2.7 million with the Hornets. And Jose Calderon, a one-year minimum with the Cavaliers. Any of those stick out to you, Cesar? You know the Charlotte Hornets are getting desperate when you have to give Michael Carter-Williams uh, a deal. God, what is Michael Jordan doing? The man is wearing hoop earrings. He's wearing mom jeans. He looks ridiculous. Get your stuff together, man. You're a billionaire. You can stop shopping at the Gap. Yeah, uh, Hornets, uh, I mean, I understand the, the move to add some point guard depth. Maybe they'll see if, you know, MCW can be an upgrade over Ramon Sessions, but... He struggled a lot in Milwaukee and in Chicago, so it's hard for me to see him being much of a contributor in Charlotte, but who knows, maybe he can get his career turned around there. On to the shooting guards. Uh, first notable signing being J.J. Redick taking a one-year $23 million with the 70s, one-year $23 million deal with the 76ers. I really like the signing for both sides. You know, J.J. Redick picking up a big contract over this one year and the 76ers saying, look, let's make the playoffs this year. We're going to try to be a real team, and J.J. Redick is a perfect fit for, you know, the core of Fultz, Simmons, Embiid, Covington, the rest of those guys. And I think this is going to be a sign that works out really well for the 76ers because there's really no downside with it, and I, I just really liked it. Yeah, Redick, obviously the most talented amongst the long list of white shooting guards from Duke. You know, it's a very prolific list, and he's on the top of it, so... Philly got a solid free agent. I think that, you know, they need that outside shooting presence, and he shot, you know, above 42% last year. So he's very valuable. I think that, you know, as a veteran, he can teach those young guys, you know, how to stay in line. And, you know, he's a good pickup. Yeah, all around good stuff for the 76ers. And they'll be getting another one of the uh, the growing number of player podcasters in J.J. Redick. So can't wait to hear about the process on the J.J. Redick show. That'll hopefully still be on the vertical. That's going to be awesome. Uh, another shooting guard signing is uh, Dion Waiters. Waiters Island is staying in South Beach for four years and $52 million. Uh, I really liked this deal for the Heat. You know, Dion Waiters, obviously the catalyst for that team, taking them on a 30-11 run to close the year out. Uh, Kevin Durant mentioned on the Bill Simmons podcast how Dion Waiters was telling uh, Kevin Durant before one of their games against the Warriors that said, Hey man, watch. We're about to go on a run. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead us on this. And Kevin Ray said, "Okay, okay." And what do you know? The Heat finished the second half of the season just 
scorching hot. And Deion Waiters was arguably the driving force behind that. And, you know, getting him back in that Miami culture and continuing to allow him to grow in a place where his career has finally blossomed, I think it's an awesome deal for both sides. Yeah, Deion Waiters pairing him up with soon to be the best center in the NBA, Hassan Whiteside, is, you know, going to be a good pairing. And having Tyler Johnson back, you know, they retained a lot of their core. So having those guys back that, you know, made that really epic run in the last, in the second half of the season will, you know, be valuable. And I think that, you know, Miami has been doing some good things. Obviously, they missed out on Gordon Hayward. You know, Miami has always been an appealing destination, but I guess you wanted to go for cold Boston over, you know, warm Miami, which is strange. But, you know, regardless, you know, they they don't always pride themselves on, you know, getting top free agents, but having guys that they can sign and keep to develop is, you know, very valuable. I, I like Dion Waiters a lot. Yeah, next step is bringing back James Johnson to uh, get the Island of Misfit Toys back together on Waiters Island and get that team going into the playoffs. I'm really excited to see Miami next year. Uh, I didn't love the Bam out of biopic, but he's been tearing up summer league so far, so we'll see if he can be a contributor for them too. Uh, next shooting guard signing to report is Tony Snell staying in Milwaukee. Four years, $46 million. Uh, happened basically right after the buzzer started for free agency. And, you know, I thought this was a bit of an overpay for Snell. I think, you know, he's a pretty replaceable player. I mean, as we've stated before, we love Sterling Brown, and I think that you know the the Grizz, the excuse me, the Bucks could have gotten fine value out of just giving Tony Snell's minutes to Sterling Brown, and, you know, not having to pay Tony Snell this big contract that's going to take them into the luxury tax. So, you know, I, I mean, Tony Snell's a nice player. I think he's maybe a little overrated as a three and D option, but he helped them last season, and I understand the desire to have him continue to grow after he didn't really succeed during his time in Chicago, but sort of blossomed a little bit in Milwaukee. I just, I think he's replaceable and going into the luxury tax for him, I'm not in love with that. And they'll have to find a way to, you know, move Spencer Hawes or someone else over the course of the season to get back under that luxury tax threshold. Yeah, they obviously paid uh, Snell a lot, you know, $40 million plus for, you know, a guy that scores less than nine points a game, but is, you know, described as this, you know, transformative 3 and D guy, but... I think that, you know, he's not anything too unique, and you could, you have other guys that are very similar to him that are floating around the league that you can get on, you know, very good contracts. You know, a guy that's better than him, Nick Young, just signed a $5 million contract one year, which is like nothing compared to the $46 million. So, you know, there's obviously guys that, you know, occupy the same role that you can get on really good value. So... You know, Milwaukee likes him, and I don't blame him for signing him again. But, you know, he's not super unique in terms of what value he can bring to Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, he does have some a little more defensive upside. He's obviously younger than some of those other guys in the market like Nick Young. But I still, I still thought it was an overpay, and I would have rather them just give his minutes to Sterling Brown and play Malcolm Brogdon a little more. But, you know, uh, John Horst is their new GM. He's the, he's the guy that West Eden selected. So, I mean, he, he's making the moves there. Uh, not, I guess that's that's what they did. Uh, another shooting guard signing, Kyle Korver back to the Cavs for three years, $22 million. Uh, More luxury tax for Dan Gilbert. That's basically all I have to say about this. You know, I'm, I don't have any hot takes about this signing. What about you, Cesar? Oh, I got the hottest takes. Kyle Korver, not good. Not good in Cleveland at all. It doesn't make any sense that you have guys like LeBron, Kyrie Irving, obviously elite talents, and the only way that you, you know, beat the Warriors at this point is you don't try to be the baby Warriors. You try to, you know, beat them uh, not playing their game. You know, you have to bring in defensive specialists. You know, I would really, really like to see a guy like P.J. Tucker or Patrick Patterson on the Cavs. You know, that would have really helped in terms of you don't need this guy that can't move past the three-point line and, you know, is an average at best defender, you know, and you're paying him a solid contract, so I think that, you know, Kyle Korver was absolutely terrible in the playoffs, and, you know, if you really want to contend with the Warriors, I think that you really need to switch it up in terms of the guys that you're bringing off the bench and, you know, getting guys that can give you quality minutes while Kyle Korver, you know, when he's not on, he's pretty much worthless since he doesn't do anything outside of shoot threes, so, you know, with... With you know, you're obviously trying to beat the Warriors, and I don't think signing Kyle Korver is your way to get there. Yeah, I mean, they only had the taxpayer MLE to work with. I don't think that was going to get them PJ Tucker, but you know, there are, there were other guys that could have looked at. I mean, 
a guy we can talk about now is Ben McLemore, who signed a two-year, $10.7 million deal with the Grizzlies. I mean, I've always been a Ben McLemore believer since he was at Kansas. I think that he was put in a really awful position in Sacramento and just, you know, continuously changing head coaches and, you know, the poor influence of DeMarcus Cousins there and just the toxic front office situation. I think all of that hindered McLemore's development. And I think that he's a guy with some talent. You know, I think he does have a little bit of 3 and D upside given his athleticism and his shooting ability. I mean, even through his struggles in the NBA, his three-point shooting has shown through. So I think the Grizzlies are a great reclamation destination for him. I mean, you saw guys like Troy Daniels and James Ennis come in and be useful rotation players in the wing, coming in with a lot less pre- previous talent than Ma- than Macklemore has. So he's a guy who I actually think could develop into something really nice for them. So I liked that. Another Kansas player staying on the wing in Memphis is Wayne Selden, who's back on a two-year deal. Uh, again, good, good to see Wayne, Wayne succeed. Uh, good guy. So that's that's good. Uh, a couple other shooting guard signings. Langston Galloway to the Pistons for three years, $21 million. Jody Meeks to the Wizards for two years, $7 million. And Drew Holiday's brother, Justin Holiday, heading back to Chicago on a two-year, $9 million deal. Any any anything about those signings that uh, stood out to you, Cesar? Uh, not particularly. I liked Lynx and Galloway's a lot. I think that he was a good signing. He provides really good value and you know can bring some intelligence to that locker room. So that was a good move. And you know I like a lot of the moves that was going on. You know all these you know kind of mid to lower tier free agents. You know don't make too much of impact, but are important. You know when you're trying to figure it all out. Yeah, I think if Jordy Meeks is healthy. He's a guy who can help the Wizards as they are desperately searching for bench depth. So that that was that was a, a nice move for them getting him on a small deal. On to these small forwards. Uh, obviously, the biggest name was Gordon Hayward, who after a pretty disastrous uh, reporting of his signing and then him pulling it back through his agent and then waiting to roll out the news, um, signed with the Celtics for four years, $128 million on July 4th. Uh, I, I This is kind of what I thought all along. I mean... I'd sort of thought that he could go back to Utah, but by the time free agency started, I was kind of thinking, you know, he's probably going to Boston, even if they don't get Paul George. And, you know, I, I think this is going to be a really interesting fit for them just because they have so many versatile wings, you know, how they're going to play these guys, how they're going to use them together. I mean, how they're going to defend using these guys, you know, who's going to guard twos, who's going to guard threes, who's going to guard fours, you know, where's Avery Bradley fit in all this. But I think just in terms of value, I think Hayward was – one of the best open market free agents, maybe the best open market free agent that the Celtics could have gotten in this last year where they're going to have space. So it, it was some pretty masterful maneuvering by Boston's front office to have this space to go grab another star. But, you know, I, I would have liked this more if, you know, they just kept Fultz and maybe they'd made a move to trade for Paul George. I mean, I'm a believer in, you know, grabbing the assets when they're there rather than, you know, stockpiling these sort of subpar assets because, you know, if they'd gotten a greater return in the Fultz trade, I, I would have been behind it. But I don't think the return made it worth it for me. But you know, it, it's all it's all it's all interesting. It's it's obviously going to take years to judge what whether or not Boston made the right decisions holding on to their picks, or you know, go whether they should have gone in and taken Fultz, and or whether or not their Tatum selection was correct. But it's it's a very interesting process to witness in Boston. But I think Gordon Hayward is a good addition to that core. Yeah, Hayward, probably the best free agent in this class, you know, that was actually going to move, you know, excluding Curry and people like that. So Durant. Yeah, Durant, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Hayward moved to Celtics, you know, to be with his college coach, Brad Stevens, who's been doing a fantastic job over in Boston. I think that, you know, having uh, another marquee guy there with Isaiah Thomas is going to be very valuable, you know, taking a load off of Isaiah Thomas and give, giving a lot of the scoring pressure off of him since, you know, a, a lot of the times in the playoffs he didn't he wasn't effective at all because he was forcing things that didn't have too much help. So I think that bringing in Gordon Hayward with Brad Stevens, obviously his coach at Butler. So I, I like it. I There was a lot of logistics that, you know, goes into it. Obviously they're going to have to move, you know, one of the Marcus Smarts, Avery Bradleys, one of those Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder too. One of those valuable, you know, wing guys that you know have been one of their mo's going forward. So I think Marcus Smart could probably be the most, uh, de- uh, excuse me, most you know replaceable of those guys. You know, obviously Jay Crowder being a big part of their team in the playoffs. So you know, if they do trade Marcus Smart, people 
had rumors to Philly or other teams where they could pick up, you know, a guy on a very good contract that's also that they can move in the future. So I think that, you know, the, it'll, it'll shake up their teams in terms of, you know, having to move guys and giving Jason Tatum, you know, less minutes and behind, obviously behind Gordon Hayward. So that'll be interesting to see how that all pans out. And, you know, Tatum has been balling out so much in the summer league that, you know, it'll be interesting to see what role he'll play next year. Yeah, for sure. Um, if Marcus Smart, uh, one trade that's been mentioned, shout out to the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. They had an idea for a Marcus Smart for Rashawn Holmes trade. I think that'd be an awesome trade for both sides. Boston grabbing, you know, another depth big who kind of brings something to the, to the table that they don't really have in terms of rim protection. But it's going to be interesting to see whether or not, you know, maybe Jay Crowder gets sent to Utah on a sign-in trade or something. But certainly uh, going to be going to watch what's going on with Boston, how they manage their cap. Uh, another sign to talk about, we went through the Otto Porter signing earlier, obviously, but Andre Iguodala is back with the Warriors for three years, $48 million. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of surprised that they brought him back, honestly, because this team is going to have some insane luxury tax bills. I mean, obviously they're going to be the best in the league, but this is going to be the easily the most expensive team in league history. What do you, what do you have on this, Cesar? You, Andre Iguodala, you know, was one of the guys that you thought that was going to break off from that Warriors core, but, you know, they were able to bring him back with KD taking $9 million less in this next year. So, you know, they had, I guess, you know, will have to pay a lot of luxury tax, but I guess that's, you know, the whole point of, you know, having a team that's so great, you know, similar to those Portland teams in the 90s that paid so much to compete and, you know, get to those finals against Michael Jordan so you know obviously you spend a lot and you get a lot in return but that's the price of you know winning Joe Lacob. Yep for sure uh, next sign to cover is Andre Roberson coming back to Oklahoma City for three years 30 million. Uh, I was really impressed with this another just great signing for Oklahoma City not overpaying Roberson I mean I was worried that the Nets were going to do something like throw a five-year 80 million or I guess it would be a be a four-year 64 million dollar offer sheet at Roberson with, you know, a player option and a trade kicker and all, all the goodies that restricted contracts come with. But, you know, the, the Thunder were able to get him back on a very reasonable deal. I think that, you know, as a defensive specialist, uh, Roberson gets hard to play at the end of close games, given his, you know, shooting struggles from the free throw line and everything. But, you know, he does bring a ton of value as one of the true elite defenders in the league. And Oklahoma City is bringing the band back together, but they've got Paul George in the fold now, and I think they could be a really dangerous team in the West. Yeah. I don't know about dangerous, but obviously the team, you know, is motivated to make the most of Russell Westbrook while he's there, and I think that that's a smart move, you know, getting Paul George for, you know, a scrap, some scraps and, you know, a pail of dirt, so I think that, you know, having guys that, you know, you can surround Westbrook with, like Paul George, who, you know, doesn't need the ball in his hand all the time and can defend and shoot the ball well, you know, is very valuable, and having a guy like Robertson, you know, during that, uh, excuse me, during that playoff series during uh, against Houston, you know, he was unplayable since they kept fouling him and he made so few free throws. So he's obviously a liability on that end, but on defense, he's very valuable. And during the regular season, you know, he'll be a big help to Westbrook and Paul George and, you know, hopefully building a, a playoff roster next year, you know, going forward with, uh, you know, MVP. Yeah, I guess we haven't really talked about the Paul George trade. Uh, I'm sure everyone who's listening knows the terms of the deal. Paul George for Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, this is just a fleecing from Sam Presti. It's, it's that simple. I mean, Oladipo's contract on its own was a bad deal, and just getting off of it is a win. But then, you know, getting to pick up Paul George, and the only, the only other thing you have to give up is DeMontis Sabonis, who, you know, maxes out probably as, like, an average third big. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, I know Paul George is most likely a rental for them, but even then, it's it's worth it. And, you know, Oklahoma City, if they can't get Russell Westbrook to sign on to an extension, I mean, it, their future looks pretty short. It, it'll have to probably enter a rebuilding phase soon if Westbrook's gone, obviously. But, I mean, the price of getting George was so low. I mean, it, it's definitely a great deal for them. And from Indiana's side, it was awful, but I don't think they were going to get a good return anyway. But my issue with it is just, not getting picks and not getting any young players who really look like they could at least possibly become high-level starters. So, I mean, if the offer from Boston was Jalen Brown uh, and then, you know, Jay Crowder or another player and 
a couple even late firsts. That's a way better offer than Oladipo and Sabonis. But I, I understand that Indiana wanted to keep him out of the East for some reason. Some It was all weird. I don't understand this. Apparently they wanted Oladipo because he went to IU, which is just, that's a ridiculous reason to want someone. But I don't know. It is a very weird trade from the Pacers' perspective. Yeah, the Pacers didn't get very much for their marquee star, you know, mainly because he's made his intentions very clear that he's going to leave for the Lakers. So, you know, there is there is some risk on the Oklahoma City side, seeing that, you know, you may trade him and, you know, pay him all this money, and then he leaves in a year or two to L.A., you know, to be in near Magic Johnson, be in L.A. where uh, he was raised and a lot of his family is so... You know, there is some risk in terms of just, you know, having to pay and trade for him just to rent him for a year. But, you know, if they can convince him to stay and say, hey, we've got, you know, one of the top 10 players in the league in Russell Westbrook. And, you know, we're a playoff team in the West, which is much, you know, better than being a lower seeded playoff team in the East. Then, you know, sign with us. And if he does, I think that that's, you know, a really good get for Sam Presti and, He's been, you know, you know, notorious for getting incredible deals for his players, and you know they traded Serge Ibaka for pretty much the same thing, if not a little bit more. So there, there's obviously, you know, not too much harm going for Oklahoma City, but you know, if he does leave, there are, you know, kind of st- stood there, you know, with their dicks in their hands. So yeah, I mean, if if you really want to get into it, uh, Paul George was valued the same as Terrence Ross and the pick that became. Antish Pasechniks, given that the Raptors traded for Serge Ibaka after the Thunder traded Serge Ibaka for the players that they used to acquire Paul George. So a number of transactions went down, obviously, and, you know, getting into that chain game, you're going to get into weird stuff. But, man, they gave they gave Paul George away for not very much, and that's, you know, probably not a great move as a front office. But it's whatever. Uh, Indiana's going to be bad for the next few years, I think, even after, you know, bringing in Darren Collison. I don't think he's going to help them at all. Uh, another small forward signing to discuss, Joe Ingles back to the Jazz for four years, $52 million. Uh, another RPM superstar, one of Gordon Hayward's best friends. This was obviously you know, an effort to try to lure Hayward back. But even with Hayward gone, I think if you know the Jazz were able to lend Jay Crowder in a sign-and-trade, Ingles and Crowder and Rodney Hood together could form an interesting wing combo as each being guys who can bring something different to the table. You know, Ingles is more of a unique sort of 3-and-D type player. And Crowder being maybe more of you know a bulky combo forward type, whereas Hood's more of the perimeter score. So they they could be an interesting group of guys. You know Joe Johnson's in there too, probably more as a power forward next season. So interesting signing for the Jazz. Ingles four years is a little much for guys already twenty nine. I, I would have liked to see him more if it was only three years, but I understand it for the Jazz, and I didn't think it was the worst signing. Yeah, Joe Ingles, one of Gordon Hayward's best friends. So you're you know signing him to lure back Hayward, which didn't work. Similar to you know what Washington didn't achieve with hiring Kevin Durant's college, uh, excuse me, high school coach. So that's kind of strange, and I don't think those you know tactics work too often. But you know he he still has some value, and having guys like Rudy Gobert and uh, Ricky Rubio there, you know, is a solid core. And you know while they may not be getting so much stronger than they were last year when they you know were that top tier in the West, I think that, you know, they can still buy for a playoff spot and, you know, have some good pieces going forward, especially Rudy Gobert. Yeah, don't sleep on Donovan Mitchell. The man's been killing the summer league, and his jump shot looks so pure. Um, we were right being high on Donovan Mitchell. I think he's he's going to outplay his draft spot, and, you know, maybe he's the next star for the Jazz. You can replace Gordon Hayward down the line, hopefully. I mean, I love Donovan Mitchell, and I hope that, you know, he can become a great player for Utah. But, uh, we already talked about the P.J. Tucker signing. Uh, we both liked it for the Rockets. Uh, a couple other small forward signings. Armour Caspi took the one-year minimum with the Warriors, which, again, just an absolute steal for the Warriors. How, do, how does this keep happening? They keep getting these guys. Um, Richard Jefferson went back to the Cavaliers probably for the minimum. Uh, you know, that, that I mean, Richard Jefferson can play some minutes for them, I guess. I don't know. Um, Warriors also got Nick Young on a one-year $5.2 million deal, which... Another steal for the Warriors. This is just ridiculous that they keep getting these guys. And, you know, I guess teams those guys want to go win. But, man, it's it's so unfair. I mean, you look at the Ian Clark and Matt Barnes roster spots from last season. That's now Nick Young and Omer Caspi, two unquestionable upgrades for them. So the Warriors keep getting stronger while the rest of the league tries to, you know, build these super teams with Chris Paul and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. 
and Paul George. The Warriors get deeper, and they bring all the guys back. So it's going to be hard for them to be beat. The Bay Area just got a lot more swaggy. Yo, that team was barren with swag. It was like the Sahara Desert. Clay Thompson uh, looks like the guy that, you know, if you're walking, it's like, guys, stop having fun. The thing where he drink, like, slowly drank the beer in his locker room after the game was, like, the swaggy, swagless thing I've ever seen. So, they obviously needed Swaggy P. And, you know, the man, it, that's the reason they're going to be an all-time great. That's why they're better than the 96 Bulls. Not because of Curry. Not because of KD's uh, swagless, you know, allure. It's because of Nick Young. Yeah, man. Uh, Swaggy P. In the Bay Area, if they can bring back JaVale McGee, uh, they got the all Shackton squad there. Uh, they just need to, you know, bring in Kendrick Perkins on a one-year veteran minimum, too. Uh, on to the power forwards. Uh, Kevin Durant, you know, whether or not he's a small forward or power forward, uh, doesn't really matter. He, he's everything because he's, he's Kevin Durant. He's the second best player in the world. Absolute stud. But uh, taking that big pay cut, two years, $53 million, to stick around in Golden State uh, so that they can, you know, bring back those other guys without going so deep into the luxury tax and the rich keep getting richer. I mean, Kevin Durant, uh, that Warriors team allowing them all to keep their guys, Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala, bring in Nick Young and Omar Caspi. It's just going to be unfair. We've been talking about it. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, that team obviously, you know, had some sacrifices and KD, you know, made that pay cut to make it work. But, you know, I think that that'll be interesting. And obviously, uh, Obviously, you know, that team will be, you know, very difficult to beat. And, you know, going forward, they, they have a lot of firepower, so. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, sorry, you got something else? Yeah, I'm not sure that Kevin Durant is the second best player in the league. Are you really, you know, cutting Kawhi Leonard off? Are you, are you depriving my man like that? He almost beat Did you the, watch the finals? You did you, uh, did you see that Kawhi Leonard almost beat Golden State game one soul-handedly? Yeah, for like two and a half quarters. I mean, I love Kawhi Leonard, and you know I think he's only going to keep getting better. I mean, he's gotten better every season, but you you can't watch those finals and tell me Kevin Durant's not the second best player in the world. That's real moist, dude. If you put Kawhi Leonard on Golden State, they much better. If you put Kevin Durant on the Spurs, they're like similar to what Westbrook is doing with the Thunder. Kawhi is much better. That's the hottest take I've heard all day. I'm not. I'm not endorsing that. Harvard Homies does not endorse that take. Um, next next power forward to talk about is Blake Griffin going back to the Clippers on a five-year, $173 million deal. I was a bit caught off guard by this. I figured that, you know, after the Chris Paul trade, the Clippers would, you know, look to move on from Griffin and, you know, trade DeAndre Jordan and enter a rebuilding phase. But they, they appear to be, you know, loading up on offense. I mean, there's talks that they're going to maybe sign Milos Tedosic from Cheska Moscow, which... I'm all in on Milos Tedosic playing with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan would be so much fun. If you haven't watched Milos Tedosic before, go look up just Milos Tedosic YouTube highlights and you're going to be hooked. Absolutely amazing passer, great shooter. No defense, but it doesn't matter because he's going to be an offensive extreme. I mean, that's what the Clippers are going to be next year. Defense is not going to be a thing. I mean, they got Danilo Gallinari in that sign-and-trade with Paul Millsap and the Hawks as well and the Nuggets of that three-team sign-and-trade. Danilo Gallinari coming on three years, 60, 65 million. So the Clippers bringing Gallinari and Griffin in uh, to just kind of, you know, just supercharge that offense, basically. They still have Patrick Beverly as a defender in the backcourt. They got Sundarius Thornwell in the second round, who can be a wing defender. But outside of that, it's just going to be a whole lot of offense for the Clippers. And, you know, they might not win, but they're going to be fun, and they're going to sell tickets. Yeah, uh, Blake Griffin coming back to the Clippers. I really would have liked him, you know, to have Steve Ballmer, you know, push Doc Rivers and say, okay, we're going to trade that $170 million to Chris Rock's blacked out tour. The man should stick to co comedy, man. That's his strongest suit. He's obviously had some injuries in the past. And, you know, get 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 to that stand-up stage, man. You got to put in those reps. I mean, I think Griffin, when he's healthy, is a phenomenal player. I mean, especially as he's expanded his game to the three-point line and as a playmaker. That's that's really awesome, but you know, I think that you know he he's definitely struggled with injuries in L.A. and you know he's got a checkered history with you know their training staff and everything. Obviously, the punching incident and stuff. But I guess that's where he wanted to be. I mean, he's one of the greatest Clippers of all time already. I mean, he's been with the franchise for almost ten years now. So 
staying there, I think he's going to be, you know, the face of the Clippers uh, as, you know, franchise history. And, you know, they might not be very good over the next few seasons. They could probably be a fringe playoff team. But, you know, I think keeping Griffin around just matters culturally for the Clippers because I think in a market so dominated by the Lakers, it might be hard for the Clippers to, you know, enter this another phase of just being really bad. And while they've got Griffin there, while they've got DeAndre and, you know, bringing in Danilo Gallinari now too, I think they, they kind of have to, you know, keep that keep that core together. Yeah, the, you know, Clippers, in my opinion, you know, kind of missed their window. In 2014, they're real title contenders. And, you know, with Chris Paul gone and DeAndre Jordan, you know, having nobody to really give them lobs outside of Jawan Evans, who's good but will need some time to develop. Uh, I think the next move for the Clippers is to move to Seattle. The, their time in L.A. is over. Seattle needs a team. L.A. is way too many teams. You know, just make the move, dude. Seattle's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, uh, new Lob City in Seattle. That'd be that'd be pretty awesome. But uh, I I don't know. We'll we'll wait to see with the Clippers. I think the Gallinari and Griffin signings are you know an, an attempt to extend this run of the team. You know, competing with or being better than the Lakers. But Clippers are gonna be interesting to watch over the next few seasons. Uh, another power forward signing that was big. We mentioned that big three team trade sign and trades with Gallinari and Paul Millsap who took three years, $90 million with the Denver Nuggets and a team option on the last year. What a phenomenal deal for the Nuggets. I mean, I, th- I, I think this is just an absolutely great move by them getting Millsap on a contract that's basically two years and $60 million with the option to you know bring him back another year if he continues his high level of play. Because, you know, at 31, Millsap, you know, a tenuous situation giving him four years, especially at such high money. But getting him for only two years guaranteed is absolutely awesome for the Nuggets. And, you know, you couldn't really pick a, a, a more perfect frontcourt partner for Nikola Jokic just as a guy who's a great defender. You know, Millsap doesn't exactly have great size, but, you know, his his defensive ability is one of the best in the league amongst power forwards, and just his all-around versatile game is really important, and him and Jokic next, next to each other is going to form such a unique but talented front line, and I love it for the Nuggets. Yeah, Millsap, you know, was one of the highest-toted veterans in this, you know, recruit in this recruiting free agent class and Denver, you know, made a big jump to get him and they got him on a steal of a contract. You know, he did great things on that Atlanta team. Obviously, you know, that 60 win team that is obviously pretty much all broken up now. So Paul Millsap, you know, headed into a really good scenario with Jokic as the, you know, number one guy who can really facilitate an offense really well, even though, you know, he is a center, he's a really great passer, and, you know, can get really good lobs, uh, looks for, you know, Millsap and other guys on that team, so, you know, with that, with losing Gallinari, I think that, you know, that was a little bit of a hit, but, you know, replacing him with Millsap, you know, is a big improvement and can add some, you know, veteran leadership to that Denver team. Yeah, I'd much rather have Millsap on a two years, $60 million with a team option for a third year than Gallinari on three years, $65 million. I just think Millsap's defensive value is absolutely necessary for that Denver team. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that offense works next season with, you know, Millsap and Jokic are probably their two best passers at the big man spots. So they're going to be running a lot of really interesting stuff. And, you know, with their assistant coach who sort of facilitated that passing offense with through Jokic, uh, Chris Finch heading to the Pelicans, to sort of try to do the same thing with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. It's going to be interesting to see how they continue to manage that offense, but it's surely going to be exciting, and I can't wait to see how Jokic can do with a more defensive-minded power forward next to him. Exactly. Uh, I, I, I really like Denver. I think that they're in a good position with Jokic, and I think that they can really you know, improve on what Jamal Murray did last year and can have a really solid court going into next year. Yeah, other power forwards, we talked about Serge Ibaka, talked about Zach Randolph, talked about Todd Gibson, covered the Patrick Patterson deal. Um, one other power forward deal, Amir Johnson taking one year, $11 million with the 76ers. Um, I like this deal. I think it gives them some just insurance at the big man spots and some veteran leadership. Uh, I think this is a sign that Jaleel Okafor is really not going to play next season, which is hilarious. I do feel bad for Jaleel Okafor, but it also is pretty funny that, you know, this Duke guy who went number three overall is now completely getting freezed out of a team only in his third season. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see Amir Johnson's role. I can't imagine that it'll be much. But, you know, if one of their young bigs like Holmes or even Embiid 
is struggling early on. I think that you could see Johnson get some more minutes. Yeah, the Amir Johnson, you know, it was a good sign. I think that, you know, having a veteran big guy, you know, in the locker room is good. But, you know, they already have so many bigs that, you know, if you're going to give a veteran guy like that some minutes, you have to, you know, wonder where other guys are going to go. Uh, Jonah Bolton, you know, one of our favorites from last year, and a steal in the second round, you know, has been really balling out in the summer league. You know, having a game where you were completely like locked down defensively, having four blocks, and you know, a shot has been, you know, starting to get hot. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, when they can bring over Jonah Bolton if, you know, he does ball out really well and, you know, looks good if they're going to bring him over, even though they have a full roster of big guys and, you know, where they'll, what they'll do with Paseknik's in the future, you know, with him having stash. So that'll be interesting. And I can't wait till Joel Embiid and LeVar Ball have their rivalry next year and Philly smacks down the Lakers. And, you know, I can't wait till the WWE gets a hold of Joel Embiid and has, has him wrestle. To love our ball. Oh, I I would love to see that. Just as long as you know Embiid does not get hurt in during that. Uh, I like this offseason for the 76ers, adding two veterans in Redick and Johnson, while also maintaining space going into the season, giving them some room to renegotiate and extend Robert Covington, so that way they don't allow him to hit the open market and drive up his cost in free agency. Uh, Covington, obviously, really important player to the core, and leaving room to extend him is really smart. And then. Getting these guys on one-year deals will give them cap space next offseason before they'll have to pay, you know, the Embiid's and the Simmons of their core. So I really liked this, and I think that 76ers are going to be really fun next season, but they don't have any, you know, bad bad money tied up yet. So they're still a really fun team with a lot of possibility, and the sky's really the limit for this core for them. A couple other power forward signings. David West going back to the Warriors on the minimum for one final season probably exclusively a center at this point for them. And Mike Scott from the Hawks heading to the Wizards for the minimum. You know, a couple seasons ago, Scott looked like an interesting stretch four, but, you know, he's, he's kind of fallen off a little bit, but maybe he can rediscover his form in Washington. Just another nice depth signing for Washington as they look for guys to fill out their bench. And then on to the centers. You know, there hasn't really been a whole lot of action with the centers. Nene's back on the Rockets with a three-year, $11 million deal. The Bulls uh, got Cristiano Felicio back on a four-year, $32 million deal. But other than, than that, we're still waiting on most, most of these guys. It sounds like Nerlens Noel's headed back to the Mavericks, but they're going to wait to see before they bring him back. Pau Gasol is probably going back to the Spurs. Uh, the Celtics just renounced Kelly Olynyk's, uh, I think, his qualifying offer so that he's now an unrestricted free agent. He's been getting a lot of interest. He could be a guy who gets overpaid. I would not be surprised by that. Mason Plumley still hanging around in restricted free agency. Hopefully the Nuggets can get him on a below-market deal. And then a couple interesting guys. Dwayne Dedman still out there. He's he's actually a guy who could help a lot of teams. I think Boston would really benefit from getting Dwayne Dedman on their team. Uh, Mo Spates still out there as you know, a nice bench piece. Alex Len out there in restricted free agency as well. I mean, Alex Len. I, I, don't, I don't have any takes on Alex Len. I mean, he's, he's one of the most anonymous number five pick. I can think of just, you know, as the most average type of center. But, yeah, going to be interesting to see how this center market shakes out. And, you know, as we approach the rest of free agency, some of the top guys still left. We're still waiting on a deal with Contavious Caldwell-Pope and the Pistons. Uh, still waiting to see where Rudy Gay, CJ Miles end up. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich still hanging out there in restricted free agency. Jamichael Green uh, hanging out in restricted free agency as well. But the word is that, you know, the Grizzlies are actually looking to sign and trade Jamichael Green uh, as of a couple days ago. So that's that's something interesting to watch. I think Jamichael Green's a unique, useful player that could help a lot of teams as sort of a, a switchy stretch type of big. So that's something to watch. Uh, Dirk, obviously still out there, but almost surely heading back to the Mavs. We talked about James Johnson hopefully heading back to the Heat, and we, we covered all the centers. And we have to mention it. Uh, I hate to do it, but... Uh, Derrick Rose is still there. I, I don't. I don't think Derrick Rose is still a starting caliber player, but I know that there are casual fans who do. So we gotta mention Derrick Rose wherever he ends up. He's not gonna help that team, but hey, it's whatever. A uh, couple last two guys to mention: Jonathan Simmons and Tim Hardaway Jr. Still hanging out in restricted free agency. Uh, Simmons probably back with the Spurs now that they haven't really signed anyone with their extra space, and Tim Hardaway Jr. Probably going to just return to the Hawks, and I would estimate, unless you know, a team like the Nets really wants to overpay him. But you know, the market for these elite guys is basically done. I think that we're waiting more on these uh, these fill-in type of players to see where they end up 
And I actually am really excited. I want CJ Miles to sign with my Pelicans. That that's my hope for this this offseason now. I'm all in on CJ Miles with the Pelicans, so I'm praying for that. We're waiting, but uh we're gonna see where all these guys end up. Yeah, man. Well, I come on, man. We gotta keep Rose in the garden, man. That's that's the match made in heaven. You gotta keep that going. And Kelly Olenek probably is gonna get a big uh, uh, payout. So hopefully he can get a better haircut this this time. You know, the man bun. It's not it's not even a like a good uh Joaquin, uh Joakim Noah like I'm rich man bun. It's like a you know I just woke up and I live in Boston man bun. Yeah, the beard the beard for Olenek, I'm not liking that either. He 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 can hopefully find a barber in the next city he ends up in, but. Yeah, going to be interesting to see how these guys shake out. Uh, that's it on our free agency recap. Don't forget that after this week, we are scaling down to one episode per week. Uh, it's, it's been super fun doing two and even three episodes a week, but you know there's just not enough happening to fill you know two or three hours of podcasting a week. So we're going to scale it back a little bit. But you know, as next season starts to pick up, you know we'll pick up podcasting too. So be ready for it. Go leave those five-star reviews, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in.